Um, well, uh, I want to, uh, for, for those of you that go to the recap class at 1045, uh, we, we have a room change this morning. It's not going to be in the band hall. It's going to be down this uh, second hallway here all the way down to the left. Thomas will be back there to guide you. Um, but if you don't attend that class, I really want to encourage you to do that, especially over the summer. Summertime, our schedules are a little bit slower. We don't have as many commitments. And what this 1045 Bible study is, is for anybody that, you, that uh, they, they're filling in the gaps. I mean, we're cruising through this series and we're leaving a lot of great stories that are out, out, of, our, uh, out of the preaching and they're kind of hitting... Uh, the spots that we're not. And so I uh, really want to encourage you uh, to go to that class. It's every Sunday morning at 1045. It will run through the summertime. Uh, and it's just an opportunity that we can further our knowledge of the Bible. And so uh, that's not in the band hall this morning. It's down that hallway. So, um, well, we are, uh, I guess, almost halfway through our series called Storyline. And we're looking at this storyline that runs throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to, uh, to Revelation that points us to Jesus and his gospel. And when we say gospel, I want us to all be on the same page because it's something that we need to embrace in our lives every day. That the gospel is that Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve and through faith in him, not only do we have forgiveness of sin and eternal life, but we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually, uh, that we become the adopted sons and daughters of the one true king, and we get all the rights and privileges that go with his name. And uh, not only that, but in this life, we get all the acceptance and all the approval and all the significance and, and all this hope and all the security and all the love that we need because nothing says that we are more loved and more significant and more approved and more accepted than the Son of God dying on the cross for our sin. And, and, and so that's the gospel and that's what, that's what we need to cling to every single day. So this morning, or for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the life of David and uh, looking at a couple of events in his life. And um, today we're going to look at something that if we, if we have it, okay, that it can make our lives whole again. That uh, no matter... Um, you know, how far we've fallen or how far we've run for God or no matter how broken or how messed up or how jacked up our lives may be, if we have this one thing in our lives, it can begin to put our lives back together and make us whole again for the Christian. And, and when, I, when I say it, uh, it it's going to be so anticlimactic. When I say it, you're going to be like, oh, that. Well, well, I already knew that. I mean, what, what's so special about that? So let, let me just underwhelm you and just get it out of the way, okay? Uh, but the, 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 what, we, what it is, is repentance. That, that repentance is the secret sauce, if you will. It's the secret to, to deep life change for the Christian, that repentance is the, is the key to having our lives put back together and whole again and to living out the lives that God is calling us to. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story in David's life and, and when he's at his lowest of low, okay? And, uh, and 
we're going to look at this story in the psalm that he writes when he's at the lowest of low because it's the two best resources we have for repentance. And we're going to see three things about repentance. And let me just give them to you up front, okay? And then we'll unpack them as we go along. Um, but what we see, we see what is repentance, okay? We're going to see that first. Then there's, uh, then there's three parts uh, of repentance that we need to embrace this morning, uh, and every morning, really. And, uh, and then we see the power of repentance. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel this morning is where we're going to be. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, I believe. Um, and if you didn't bring your Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen for you, or you can pull it up on your phone, but second Samuel 11 and 12. Now we're not going to read both chapters. I am going to summarize chapter 11 because the thrust of our story is in chapter 12. And so let me just give you a little recap of what happens in chapter 11. Okay. And I love what Moody said in the intro is, is, uh, we can all kind of relate to David, you know, we all kind of put these Bible characters up on this pedestal and think, "Oh, we can never be like them." Well, they they failed and messed up just as much as we do, and uh, God and still pursues them and still uh, uses them just like He pursues and wants to use us. And so, so what happens in Second uh, Samuel chapter eleven is King David is supposed to be at war, okay, uh, but he stays at home. And so our story opens up with King David being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and as parents, we tell our kids that all the time. Don't get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, King David made the decision not to go off to war, and he decided to stay home. And so he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. And one night, uh, he can't sleep, so he goes out on his balcony, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing uh, on her rooftop, and her name is Bathsheba. And uh, she's married to Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah is in the army of Israel, and he is off at war. And uh, King David uh, sends for her, requests her presence, which really isn't a request, okay? It's a command. He's the king. Uh, he sleeps with her, uh, another request that she couldn't deny, and she becomes pregnant. And, and David tries to cover it up, and so he comes up with this scheme like anybody who, who messes up, you know, we, we, sometimes we try to think, we think, oh, we'll just cover our tracks, we'll cover it up. And so his plan was, hey, I'll bring Uriah back from the battle and uh, I'll tell him I want an update, okay, quote unquote, on the battle. And when he comes home, he'll go home, he'll sleep with his wife and everything will be good. Well, the problem is Uriah doesn't do that because Uriah knows that he's not supposed to be at home. He's supposed to go He's supposed to be in the battle. And so when David realizes that Uriah didn't cooperate, David feels like his hands are tied and he orders a code red. Okay. And uh, so he comes up with this plan. He sends a message to, to, to the leaders. He says, put Uriah at the front of the battle. And when he's at the front of the battle, have all the men around him fall back so that Uriah would be killed. And David gets, uh, gets word that his, that his plan worked and that Uriah was killed in battle. And David takes Bathsheba to be his wife and they have a son. Now, before we get into where we're going to be, let me just kind of say this. This didn't just happen out of the blue. Okay? It, David just didn't happen out 
to make this mistake, but this was the result of a slow erosion of integrity and character in David's life, and everything in his life is about to blow up. And so before we get to, you know, what is repentance and what are three parts of repentance, let me just say this. For some of us, we need to see this morning as a warning. For some of us, we need to see this morning as a gift because if we were to really kind of survey our hearts and do some inventory, we would begin to realize that we're on this slow slope of erosion with our character and our integrity. And maybe we haven't crossed the line yet, but we know kind of where it's going. And so let's just save ourselves some heartache and let's save ourselves the, the heartache of letting down the people who depend and love, uh, depend on us and love us the most. And let's take this as a gift this morning. And let's step into the passage and let's really get our hearts around it and our minds and let's start living lives of repentance Every single morning. So what is repentance? Well, um, verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan was a prophet. Okay. And, and the role of the prophet was that God would speak to the prophet. Then the prophet would speak to the king uh, and the people. And uh, Nathan goes to King David and he says, hey, I want to get your take on a particular case. Um, because, you know, the king was also a judge and part of his role was to, was to rule on certain cases. And so the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, Nathan said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and uh, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man uh, had nothing except a little lamb uh, he had bought. And he raised it and, he, and, it, and it grew up with him and, and his children. And it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And now, the tra now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. And that was kind of a tradition. When somebody would come from out of town and visit you, you would immediately pre prepare them a meal. Instead, he, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, you know, we're, we're reading this and we're like, well, why didn't... Why? Why didn't Nathan, why doesn't he just get to the point, okay? Why doesn't Nathan, who's a very good friend to, uh, of David, by the way, why doesn't Nathan just come in and slap some sense into David, okay? Because Nathan knows what David has done. But here's the deal. God sent Nathan to David to convert him, not condemn him. That God sent Nathan to, to David to convert him, not to, not to condemn him. And that God, God is calling uh, David to wake up. God is calling David to repent because repentance is David's only hope to put his life back together. So here's a definition of repentance that we can use. That repentance is killing the habits of the heart that are killing you. That repentance, it's killing the habits. It's killing our sinful behavior that is killing us. So the story goes on says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, in other words, I swear by this, the man who did this must die and he must pay 
for the lamb four times over because he did such a horrible thing and had no pity. Well, see, David's response is a little over the top, right? I mean, you know, he's, Nathan's telling this, you know, this story. It's a terrible story, but, uh, but Nathan gets furious, or David gets furious, um, and, and stealing is not even a capital offense, but what's happening is, is David's conscience is waking up. That, that David is starting to realize that he's not in a great place himself. And then uh, on the ne- very next verse, Nathan drops a truth bomb on David. David's, you know, he's furious. He's mad at this, at this story. And then Nathan looks him square in the eyes and says, you are the man. You're the man, David. You're the guilty one in this story. Now, one problem with sin there's a lot of problems, but one of the problems is that we don't always feel like we're sinning. See, when, when, when David sent for Bathsheba, he didn't feel like a sinner. He didn't feel like an adulterer. He felt like a lover. When, when David sent Uriah to the, to the front, front of the battle, he, he, didn't, he didn't feel like a sinner. He didn't feel like a murderer. He felt like a leader. He, he felt like a, like a, like a general. And, and so the habits of our hearts that are killing us the most are the ones we don't even see. That the habits, our sinful habits that are killing us the most are the ones we don't see. And God sent Nathan into David's life to lead him towards repentance. So that's what repentance is. It's killing the sinful habits in our lives. But three parts of repentance. Uh, uh, Flip over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. If you just kind of go to your right and kind of turn to the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms uh, in Psalm 51. And David writes this uh, when he's at his lowest of low. Okay, he realizes what he's done. He's confronted. He's found out. He's confronted for his sin. And, And this is what he writes. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So there's three parts to repentance. The mind, the will, and the heart. That if we're going to truly repent of our, of our sinful ways, we need to engage our mind, our will, and our heart. First, the mind. So David says, David says uh, I, have done, I have done what is evil in your sight. You see, we, we can't completely trust our hearts, right? We can't completely trust our feelings. Because if, I mean, if we're just being honest, I mean, sometimes we feel guilty, about stuff that we do. Sometimes we don't feel guilty about the stuff we do. So which one is it? How how should we know if we should feel guilty or not? Well, notice that David does not say, you know, I have done what is evil in the world's sight. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I've done what is evil in, uh, in the sight of my friends. He doesn't say I've done what is evil in the sight of my parents. He doesn't even say I've done what is evil in my own sight. He says, I have done what is evil in your sight. That what he does is he is going 
to the scriptures. He's, allow, he's allowing God's word to define what is evil. That this is the baseline. This is the foundation. This is the standard. And David says, I am going to judge what is evil according to your standards, God. According to your law. According to your sight, O Lord. Now let me just say this. This is difficult because we live in a society, we live in a culture that our our feelings determine what is true. And and the problem with that is that there's no absolute truth that what may be true for you may not be true for me because I have different feelings and I have different opinions than somebody else. But that's the danger. Us living in a culture that we define truth by how we feel. And God is calling you and I as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to to submit our feelings, to submit our opinions, to submit our emotions to his standard, to his law. That we go to his word and we may not like it and we can argue with it and we can wrestle with it. But we pray, God, would you show me in your word what is true? That's so important as we continue to live in this culture. It's so important that we teach our kids that this is God's standard. This is God's word. This is God's truth for our lives. So we have to, we have to repent. We have to engage our minds. Uh, but we also, it takes the will. We have to take full responsibility for our sins. That David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, as we read Psalm 51, never does it say, but, okay? Have you noticed how people always have, a, have, a, have an excuse for their mistakes that they made? You know, it's like, well, yeah, 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 but, you know, and then they have an excuse. And it's just human nature. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they mess up, they sin. And, and God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to? And Adam says, well, well it wasn't my fault. It's this woman that you put here with me. You know, and then God turns to Eve and says, Eve, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to? And Eve's like, well, it's not my fault. It's the serpent. The serpent told me to do it. And, and our teenagers do the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, hon, you're, you're 45 minutes late from curfew. Well, it's not my fault. I told my friends, hey, I need to leave, but they weren't ready. They had to get all their stuff together, and I had to take them home and drop them off. And so it's not my fault that I'm late. It's their fault. Or our or kids. It's like, you know, hey, you know, our hands are not for hitting. Why did you hit your sister? Well, she hit me first. We all have our excuses, even as adults. It's like, yeah, I know I kind of lied about this, but, you know, I, I, if I did full disclosure, I wouldn't have, you know, closed the deal and I'd miss out on that commission. And besides, that's just the way we do business in my industry. Or, yeah, I know I said that about her, but, you know, everybody gossips in the carpool line. We all have our excuses. But David, he takes full responsibility of his sin. And when he does, his life begins to change. He, God puts him on this road to healing and to wholeness. And then, then he engages his heart. He said, when, when we take full responsibility, life begins to become whole again. 
that David says against you and you alone have I sinned. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Time out here, King David. I mean, what about Bathsheba? I think you sinned against her. What about Uriah? I think you sinned against her. But here, what we see in Psalm 51 is David realizes that before he sinned against anybody else, he sinned against God first. And David recognizes that he drifted away from his one true love, which is God. And David is not focused on the consequences of his sin, okay? That's not going to change anybody's life. And I'm not saying there, there's not consequences. When we sin, there is fallout. There are consequences. Some of them are small, some of them are big. Now, the good news is for those who have put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That doesn't mean that there's not consequences. But David's not necessarily focused on the consequences. He's focused on the one he sinned against. And the only thing that is going to make him discontent with his lifestyle of sin, with his sinful habits, the only thing that's going to make him discontent is to fill his heart with the love of God. So let's talk about the power of repentance. Just go back to verse 1 of chapter 51, or Psalm 51. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, it's the unfailing, unconditional love of God that changes David's heart from the inside out. It's the unfailing and unconditional love of God that begins to put David's life back together. And David is writing this psalm and he's saying, long before I committed adultery, with Bathsheba, I committed adultery against God. That, that you know, I, I needed her beauty because I wasn't looking at the Lord's beauty. I needed her affirmation because I wasn't listening to God's affirmation for me according to his word. See, that's the power. It's focusing on God's unfailing love. And some of us, we, we can't let go of our past and we hate ourselves and we're so upset with ourselves because of our past. And, and so we, we are so focused on the consequences. But that doesn't change our heart. The only thing that's going to change our hearts is focusing on God's unfailing love because that's the only thing that's going to help us move through the consequences is God's unfailing love because that's when transformation will start to take place. And he got to the point that he was so focused on the unfailing love of God and so focused on his one true love for God that he began to hate sin. He began to hate sin and love himself and see himself through the lens of God's love. And you say, well, okay, what, 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 what about me? How, how, how does this help me? Today, well, Psalm 51 ends in a really positive way. That, that Psalm 51, David writes in, in verse 15, and this is how it impacts us, okay? This is the difference that it makes in our lives. In verse 15, he says, open my lips 
so that I can declare your praise. See, he, he's getting his joy back. That's what happens when we focus on the unfailing love of God. We start to get our, our joy back. Verse 13, he says, and I will teach transgressors your ways. And we're like, are you kidding me? After all he's done, he's gonna get up and teach. No, he's gonna get up and teach about the unfailing love of God and how it sustained him and made him whole in the midst of his failures. See, when we focus on God's unfailing love, we can recognize, hey, we all have a past. We've all done terrible things. We've all messed up, but we share our story in such a way that we, not, we don't highlight our sin. We highlight God's pursuit, loving pursuit of us and what God's grace has done for us. In verse 18, he says, prosper the walls of Jerusalem. He's getting his leadership back. And we say, well, that's great for David, but, but what about me? Well, centuries later, God sends a better David. God sends Jesus who came to this earth and lived the life that we can't live and died the death that we deserve. And Jesus got everything David deserved. Just like you and I get everything, just like Jesus got everything you and I deserved. And in verse 11, David is begging God, don't cast me from your presence. I know I messed up. I know I've done some terrible things, but please, 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 God, don't cast me from your presence. But on the cross, Jesus was cast out of the presence of God. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken. On the cross, Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be accepted, so that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I can be remembered when we put our faith in him. And so here's the good news. Even when you and I mess up and fail big time, God's unfailing love is there for us. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how big the fallout may be, God's love for you is unfailing. And the band's on the come and they're gonna lead us in a time to respond. But as they do, I just wanna read the bulk of Psalm 51 and have us meditate on it. And I wanna encourage us as a church that maybe over the next four or five days or maybe over the next couple of weeks or maybe over the, next, the summer months, we just focus on Psalm 51. That... Psalm 51, it's 19 verses. If you just took five verses a day just to think about, maybe read three, four, five times a day just throughout the day, you'd have it, you'd have it done in four days. And just take your time and meditate through it. But I'm just gonna ask, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just let me read this and just think about the words here that David is writing now that you know why he wrote these words. It says, have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet... 
you desired faithfulness and even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from all my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise.